It's time for Twit This Week in Tech. Sam Abul Samad, my car guy, is here. So is Brian McCullough from the Tech Meme Ride Home. But it's not just cars. We're also going to talk about floating objects. Shelly Shelly Brisbane is here from SixColors.com. We'll talk about the Chinese balloons, that tech payload they might have had, and why six Chinese companies are now banned from doing business in the U.S. We'll talk about Sergey Brin's blimp, or is it a Zeppelin? I know it's a dirigible. And then ChatGPT, Microsoft's all in on Bing, and Google, well, they might have fumbled their launch. That and a lot more coming up next on Twit. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Twit. This Week in Tech, episode 914. Recorded Saturday, February 11th, 2023. Autono washing. This Week in Tech is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get the password manager that offers a robust and cost-effective solution that could drastically increase your chances of staying safe online. Get started with a free trial of a Teams or Enterprise plan or get started for free across all devices as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. And by ZipRecruiter. Are you hiring for your team? Despite current headlines, several industries like hospitality and healthcare are heading for a hiring boom. No matter what industry you're in, if you need to hire, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash twit and try it for free. Thanks for listening to this show. As an ad-supported network, we are always looking for new partners with products and services that will benefit our qualified audience. Are you ready to grow your business? Reach out to advertise at twit.tv and launch your campaign now. It's time for Twit This Week in Tech, the show where we talk about the week's tech news. I have assembled, as always, a panel of excellent people who are willing to get together on a Saturday because apparently there's something going on tomorrow, some big football game. Samabul Samad is here. He's rooting for the Michigan <laughs> Steam Boilers or something. I don't know. No? The Detroit no. Lions? Are you a Lions fan? I am not a Lions fan. No, I, I, I'm not into pain. Um, I, I don't like to suffer. That would be suffering, wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. Sam is our car they, guy. I think they last won a championship about 60 years ago. <laughs> I, you know, I was, I was rooting for him. I, I liked him. I like an underdog. Wheelbearings podcast at wheelbearings.media, regular on our Tech Guys show, and now on the new Ask the Tech Guys, and on Twitch social as Sam Abul Samet. Hello, Sam. Hello, everybody. Hello. Got lots of car questions for you, but we'll get okay. to that in a moment. First, I want to say hello to Brian McCullough, host of the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. You probably listen to him in your car. Uh, hello, Brian. Good to see you. Hello, Leo. As always, good to see you. And uh, I guess I'm going to ask you if anything happened this week <laughs> because I don't have much. That's okay. That's okay. You... I, I've been I've been filling the, uh, the spreadsheet. Fill with it some up. Things. Fill yeah. it up. Hey, I'm thrilled to see Shelly Brisbane here. She is a producer and reporter at Texas Standard. You see her at SixColors.com and on many uh, incomparable podcasts. Hello, Shelly. Hi, Leo. Thanks for having me back. Mm. I've been meaning to get you back for a long time, so I'm glad you could be on the show. I'm glad to be here. Today. And uh, all three of you will be watching the Super Bowl tomorrow, along with me. 
I've been informed that we have 10 people coming over <laughs> and that I will be barbecuing. So I'm glad I'm doing the show on Saturday. For those of you watching, yes, a rare Saturday edition of This Week in Tech. If something happens Saturday night, if there's another Chinese balloon discovered, we don't know about it yet because, you know, we're off by a day. Actually, there was another Chinese balloon discovered. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're we're, everywhere. How many? <laughs> I don't I don't really understand what's going on. Uh, and, of course, we haven't heard from the, the Department of Defense what they found. They did recover the balloon they shot down over North Carolina. I don't think we've heard anything about what was on that balloon. Another one was shot down yesterday in Alaska. And I guess there's another one. <laughs> We're, they're attacking us with balloons. What kind of technology could you put on the balloon that your 26 satellites wouldn't, wouldn't tell you what's going on? Is it harder to do listening of some kind? Maybe. From yeah, outer space? It would, yeah. it would seem like it would be easier. I mean, because, you know, a lot of the the signals intelligence, you know, that stuff's going through satellites anyway. Um, you know, especially. And it's all local. encrypted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it, it would seem like the satellites should be able to pick that up without too much difficulty and, and probably more consistently than a balloon that. You know, with a balloon, you don't really know precisely what its, tra- what its trajectory right. is going to be. You know where the satellites are going to be. And if it's geostationary, you know, it's not going anywhere. But that's also like the poker tell in this. There must be something incredibly valuable because it's so easy to have been discovered. You know what I mean? Like, th- yeah. they, you know, and if it loses control and because and the wind blows it where it, it can be seen and stuff like that, there must be something really, really useful that they're willing to take this risk of discovery. Hmm. Or, or are we learning about just, how they you know, discovered trying to, it? You know, poke the bear and, you know, just trying to get us riled There's up. There's also a possibility, isn't Always it? Not. Although, why would you want to do saber rattling? I mean, it's terrifying to me to think of us going to war with a nuclear power. I mean, why would you want to stir up trouble? And this is, uh, by the way, it's inevitable that the balloons would be seen. I mean, it wasn't, it's yeah. not, as you said, Brian. Well, and the secret. reason that we know about it is because civilians saw them. And I don't think the Defense Department has known about them for a long time, but they haven't been sharing that with us. And that uh, benefits them from a propaganda point of view, as well as just from not letting China know what, what we know. Yeah. But people were seeing them, especially when it was up in Montana. And so there came a point where they were like, OK, we have to talk about it and then we have to shoot it down. I, I, I bring it up because I feel like it is there is a tech story here. Obviously, whatever that three bus long electronics panel that was suspended from the North Carolina balloon was, it, you know, it was high tech uh, and had I mean, I don't know if it was for surveillance or weather measurements. We don't I don't we don't really know because nobody's said yet. I wish that is it. I guess it's unlikely that. The Department of Defense will say, well, here's, you know, the bill of goods that was on there. They have banned some Chinese companies who they say that provided technology used on the balloon. So maybe we kind of do know something. I don't know. uh, Doesn't the Biden administration kind of has priors for um, trying to out what's happening ahead of time? Like, remember, before Russia invaded Ukraine, they were saying Russia was going to invade Ukraine so that there couldn't be a false flag thing. Ah, so if your yeah, theory is, is that this has always been going on, but maybe for whatever reason, the U.S. government is letting everyone know it's going on now. Maybe that's it. So six Chinese companies 
were blacklisted yesterday for supporting the balloon program. <laughs> uh, the Companies, this is uh, from, I think, Reuters, the companies and organizations which have allegedly supported China's aerospace programs to develop airships and balloons for intelligence and reconnaissance efforts are banned from obtaining U.S. items and technology. They've been added to that entity list that Huawei is on and, and other companies so that American companies can't buy from them. And they, more importantly, probably to them, they can't buy from American companies. Um, I don't see a list of the names of the companies. Because I thought I always wonder, yeah, would but I always wonder when that happens, what tech initiative where is inadvertently affected. I'm not saying it's good or bad that they were banned. I'm just saying some company somewhere was doing business with with a banned company and is now going, oh, well, we're screwed now at least temporarily, and in a way that you wouldn't expect or that probably wouldn't make the news. Right. Yeah. at least, you know, in the industry that I primarily cover, which is automotive, increasingly we're seeing the um, the auto industry trying uh, trying to migrate away from too much dependence on China um, because they're seeing what's been happening in these other sectors, uh, in in chips and and in various other things and telecoms over the last uh, you know five years or so, five six years, and they increasingly seem to want to diversify their supply chain away from or their and and their customers away from China and not be overly dependent on the Chinese reasonably, market. Reasonably. Quite reasonably. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's probably a matter of time before we get iPhones that are not made in China, maybe made in India or Brazil or Vietnam, but uh, I think Apple would like to move away as promptly as possible. I did get the list of six companies from MarketWatch, the Beijing Nanjiang Aerospace Technology Company, China Electronics Technology Group Corporation, 48th Research Institute, the Dongguan Lingkong Remote Sensing Technology Company. They didn't, they didn't really try to hide what they do, do they? The Eagles Men Aviation Science and Technology Group, the Guangzhou Tianhai Xiang Aviation Technology Company, and the Shangxi Eagles Men Aviation Science and Technology Group. Wait a minute, that's the same name, different company? Okay. So, uh, aerospace companies, aerospace companies, and and sensors, and sensors, sensors, yeah, sensors yeah. is a big one, yeah, which um, could affect yeah. a lot of different industries or not. I mean, I don't, I don't know what sort of sensors they are, but sensors are in everything. Of you know, yeah, yeah I mean, there's, there's there's probably a variety of imaging sensors, uh, mm-hmm. in both infrared and and uh, vis- visible light imaging, and probably you know maybe things like some lidar. Um, you sure. know, some, some high, very high resolution LIDAR, which is often used, um, in, for aerial mapping purposes. So that, that may be one of the things that they're looking at is, is doing some aerial mapping, uh, with LIDAR. NBC says the Chinese balloon had multiple antennas capable of collecting signals intelligence. This is a state department, uh, statement on Thursday. The balloon maker has proven ties to the Chinese military. So we do know now, I think, it wasn't a weather balloon, that it that it was some sort of surveillance balloon, particularly communications surveillance, which would explain uh, why you don't do a satellite. Uh, just as you said, it's, it's you know, that's it's closer to the ground. Um, photos taken by high-altitude U-2 planes. See, we still got those. I'm sure the Chinese have those, too. Confirm the presence of the equipment, including multiple antennas, According to the State Department, likely capable of collecting and geolocating communications. 
solar panels large enough to produce the requisite power to operate multiple active intelligence collection sensors. The equipment was inconsistent with a weather balloon. Here's a funny thing to think about, because obviously the joke is we're using or they're using such old technology, oh, literally floating balloons. But think about this also goes back to like like a naval warfare. You had to have the weather gauge. Like if we wanted to do something similar, if we're like we're going to retaliate and send balloons over China, where would we couldn't float them from the West Coast over there? Right. We'd have to float them from Russia wouldn't let us do that. Like we, Alaska, would we? It, you would probably uh, launch well, now them we have from, the bases from in somewhere the in the Middle East. Again. Yeah, because the, the yeah, uh, jet stream is is yeah. going right. west to east. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my point. Be, that's my point. Has to be somewhere yeah. west uh, right. uh, or east of no west of China. So yeah. this is so old school that we can't do it in reverse because the weather the the wind doesn't blow that way. Yeah, which is why it yeah. feels to me like it's it may not even be that they are after precise pieces of information. They're sort of it's beyond proof of concept. Obviously they can do it, but you're going to see what you can get because you don't care specifically about where you're targeting. You're, you're floating over Montana, then eventually you're over North Carolina and in between you're gathering a lot of stuff that you can then later assimilate, but it's more important that you be able to get here undetected or unshot down than it is that you hover over a particular place to get a particular piece of information. Yeah, it seems like a not the ideal way to to do these kinds of spy efforts, but I guess we it could go it can't steer itself. It didn't have propellers, it didn't have rudders. It just could go up well, and down. Uh you know, do, is it possible that they have something similar to what uh Google was doing with their loon the balloons? The loon. Yeah. Where they could adjust the That's inflation what pressure did. of the balloon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, and and adapt to the wind patterns, you know, so based on where the wind was, you know, they could go up or down in altitude uh to maybe catch some wind and have at least some modicum of control over the trajectory of the balloon. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, I guess there's a lot more questions than there are answers. I just, it scares me uh, that uh, I don't want to, we don't want to get in a hot war. I don't even think we should get in a cold war with China. I guess we should say knock it off. And um, I don't know. What's the answer to this? It's not good. It's not good. Uh, Do we send balloons over China? (laughs) from turkey or where i don't know where we'd sign from yeah yeah i mean i have a hard time seeing why the u.s would need to i mean we've got enough satellites covering pretty much everywhere well and china has tiktok what don't they know (laughs) don't they know everything anyway it has by the way it has distracted certain in certain quarters, distracted people from TikTok, right? More worried about the balloons now than they were about TikTok. Maybe that was the point. I don't know. Well, some of the same people are very exercised about the balloons as are exercised about TikTok. And that's what's unfortunate to me, that it immediately became this political thing where if you're on one side, oh, balloons are fine. If you're on the other side, balloons are going to destroy us. And they had AK-47s that they were going to shoot them down with. And it's just like, hello, this is national security. Can we address (laughs) it on a more substantive level please yeah Uh, on the other side after 20 years in service the uh, f-22 raptor finally got its first kill isn't that amazing that is an amazing plane but yeah we don't have anybody to shoot at a multi-hundred million dollar stealth fighter and we use it It shot down a balloon (laughs) 
But imagine it, the pilot. He's sitting there and there's like, hey, you're going up today and you're going to arm your weapons and you're going to shoot down a balloon. Yeah. 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 Granddad, what did you do before? Oh, I was I was the, I was the first F-22 Raptor pilot to ever get an air to wear kill. Does he get a little outline of a balloon then on the plane? <laughs> Below his Maybe a patch that indicates that yeah, on, his, on his coat. You know, you could yeah. probably I would bet that whoever it was is trying to. Right now, trying to deny it. I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> it wasn't not, me. He was probably me. not allowed to say it. Yeah, maybe. I was on leave. Maybe. But it was, <laughs> was a nice shot. Leave. I mean, one one yeah. missile, boom, the thing came down. Nice shot. Well done. I don't, We don't know uh, how they shot down the balloon yesterday, do we? I would assume probably the same yeah. same method. Now that we know that that works. I think that yeah. was actually... Sure. I'm going to guess one of the concerns of the military is we don't want to miss. We don't want to... We don't want to... That would look bad. Yeah, like we can't we can't get it down. That would not be good. So uh, I imagine some of the some of the delay was them researching it. And now that we know, it'll take them in Alaska from now on. Uh, interesting, interesting. I don't know. Yeah, and there and as uh, somebody in the chat room saying, there's a, there are theories that China did it just to see if we could respond, would respond. And had the capability to shoot it down. Yeah, it was another Sidewinder X uh, that was used on the balloon in Alaska. Very interesting. I don't know. I feel like we don't know anything, and it's anything we say is speculation at this point. Here's some things we do know: the robots are about to take over. Uh, this week, both Microsoft and Google announced AI in search. Microsoft started it all. Uh, on uh, was that Tuesday? Yeah, I think Tuesday they announced Microsoft is going to use OpenAI's ChatGPT in Bing search. Uh, I attempted to use it. In order to do it, you have to use Microsoft Edge. Sign up for Bing to be your default search engine. You pretty much have to give give your entire Windows machine over to Microsoft, <laughs> uh, and and I still didn't get access uh, to it. But some have, and we've seen some uh, demos of it. What do you What do you think, Shelley? You've probably, as most of us have, played with ChatGPT. Sure, and I, I haven't uh, done the Bing thing because I am a minus one Windows machine. So we yeah. Mac users are going to be in the dark for a little Aww. while. But you, you know, know what? I think they want you to. I think they want you to. Oh, I'm sure they do. Yeah, they'd I, like I you no to change your search engine to Bing.com. Sure. I mean, uh, goodbye, duck, duck, go off to Bing. I, I, I am going. No, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, we've sort of gone from isn't this chat GPT stuff amazing to uh, very quickly, which is what I would have expected to happen is this is going to be what is what does it mean to say this is going to be the next big thing? What business application is it going to have? And the first one is search, which is why so much of the story this week has been the competition between Microsoft and Google and the stories that say Google is wrong-footed even before it had the problem uh, with their demo. Uh, Google is wrong-footed relative to Microsoft because Microsoft, you know, has access to ChatGPT and Google's trying to, to counter them. And so it's sort of a, a weird mishmash of, of stories where some of us are amazed by this technology. Some of us, and we run the risk of being called Luddites if we say it out loud, some of us are concerned about it. And some of us are just writing cool business stories about chat wars and or ai wars and it's it's an interesting time brian didn't didn't uh google call a red alert when they found out that mike when microsoft admitted yeah we've put another 10 billion into chat gpt and we're going to use it in search didn't this scare google yes absolutely and of course the ironic thing is that 
this is all technology that that Google created years ago and and open sourced. Um, the the T in Chat GPT, I believe, is the part of the technology that that Google open sourced. Yeah. So um, what I have heard from uh, listeners that work at Google that can't be named, of course, but also it, this this was um, echoed in. Um, uh, I think it was TechCrunch had an article uh, a couple days ago about this too. That what happened was, if you remember, there was the time when there was a lot of controversy uh, where you know certain AI people in Google were writing papers saying we shouldn't do certain things. Certain people were fired. There was a lot of controversy around this stuff, um, and also. So, so number one, you have like this was culturally divisive within Google, so that's why maybe it didn't get productized. Number two, you have the classic innovators dilemma of well, would this kill the golden goose? You know, if if you don't follow a link to uh, get the answer you need, then we're not making as much money. Um, but the thing that I heard that was uh, echoed in the TechCrunch piece was that the way that you get uh, money for projects inside Google is to affix it to another big team. Like, so for example, the, the, um, the chatbot team or the search team or the maps team or whatever. And if you think about it, we've seen that the last three or four, uh, Google IOs have been little, little bits of, um, AI added to maps, AI added to this, as opposed to essentially what I've heard is no one had the constituency or the power to say, well, let's go and make this a full product or a full division. And so because of that, they were sort of drip, drip, dripping it into other little things. And then OpenAI comes in and just releases the whole product. And that's what they weren't prepared for. Yeah, Google went through, you're talking about uh, firing Timnit Gebru, who wrote a paper called Stochastic Parrots, uh, with other Google researchers, she was at uh, the in the ethics division of Google AI, and uh, in which she said, you know, this is going potentially problematic not only because of limitations in training data and so forth, but also people trust computers, and when a computer comes up with a wrong answer, it carries more weight than when a human comes up with a wrong answer. She got fired. Then there was uh, Brent Lemoyne, the uh, the uh, priest, I guess you call him, who was working. In, uh, with Lambda, who said, oh, no, it's gone sentient. And then Google immediately fired him because it hadn't, and it was ridiculous to say so. Uh, maybe LeMoyne had, a, had the right idea, though. Do you think Google was uh, too judicious, Sam? Do you think they should have productized sooner? No, I, 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 don't, I don't think they should have productized sooner, and I'm, and I'm not convinced that OpenAI and, and um, Microsoft should be doing it now. You know, the, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the paper that Timnit Gebru and, and her colleagues did, you know, on the dangers of stochastic parrots, you know, stochastic parrot is defined as a system of haphazardly stitching together sequences of linguistic forms that have been observed in training data according to probabilistic information about how they combine. That's how, without how any, it works. <laughs> but without any reference to meaning. Yes. And that is the key is that, that you know, these, these models don't really understand. They are not intelligent. They're... They're, they're not even they're pattern. not even trying to be factual in many cases. Right. They're, right? they're they're sophisticated pattern matching mechanisms, but they don't really understand what it and and this applies really across the board to most AI applications, you know, whether it's you know large language models or um, machine vision systems or, or anything else, that none of them are can 
we use we throw around the terms AI, but none of these systems are actually you know anything close to human intelligence. The way the human brain works, they don't function the way a brain works. Uh, it's a very very rough approximation, and you know from what I've seen, you know, I, I think the best description I've seen of ChatGPT is you know that um, you know it, what, what was the the phrase uh, it's um, very confidently very confidently wrong yeah you know, it's a mansplainer right it it puts yeah it puts together strings of words in in a sequence that looks really plausible right well, and but it's combined you, with very well done writing like just in terms of yeah not, not only just grammar and structure it can make a sentence but it can make sentences that read well which is why so many people have applied it to uh, to making a document, write a news story, write an academic paper, write this thing, and it it can it write reads, code. It can write runnable sure. code, right? Yeah. Right, I, but that's that's kind of a different issue because the 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 syntax of the writing is all is one of the things that always sort of alerts you. You know, you've you've seen plenty of yeah, spam emails that come to yeah, you yeah. from a non English speaker, or yeah. you've seen uh, stuff that was generated by some sort of. AI, some sort of computer, and you can you you think you can always tell. You're like, I I know that's not generated by a human or by a human that had a certain amount of education. But you the, read this Chat GPT stuff, and it it reads as if it's well constructed, and that gives the authenticity and, and authority of facts that aren't there. So I um a month ago I did an experiment, and I shared it on the show where I tried to create two entire YouTube videos from scratch using not only the video selected by AI, but the, the writing made by ChatGPT and the actual, the, the, the voice itself. Again, not my voice. It was a complete robot voice or whatever. Narrowing in on the ChatGPT part of it. So I picked um, the real story of Robinson Caruso because that was based on a guy that really did get marooned. And then the uh, the Crystal Palace in the 1851 exhibition in London, blah, blah, blah. Just two things that I had recently read about and so I knew enough about. The interesting thing was is that, so like let's say you you would say, give me a thousand words on whether or not Robinson Crusoe was based on a true story. And it would give you a perfect third grade level essay about it, but it would miss all the details that, again, since I had just seen a History Channel thing on it, I knew there were more details. So I would have to go in and say, okay, but tell me about how he survived on the island. Okay, now tell me about how what happened to him after he was rescued. Now tell me about how how uh, Robert Louis Stevenson found out about this story. So it was never wrong. And again, think about the fact that I knew enough to know if it was doing the wrong thing. But not that wasn't even the thing that was interesting to me, because obviously, you know, if you don't know the facts, um, you wouldn't know if it was wrong. But. To get it to be a good enough sort of story, I also had to know the story. Like, it wasn't good enough yet to be as sophisticated as I wanted it to be, just to make a five-minute long YouTube video. And so, again, we're talking about people trying to train it to uh, to do things that are factual. It was also like, it, I felt like a conductor more than, it, it was all prompt engineering, and if you didn't know what you were talking about to begin with, it sure helped save you time to write all the words, but it's not like it did everything without me knowing word one, you know? But why are we expecting so much of it? Uh, it, it it's so funny because on the one hand, we're kind of like children blown away by the capabilities uh, of this thing. On the other hand, we're going, well, it's so stupid. 
and 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 why are we expecting so much of it it's uh it's a part it's kind of what i was getting to before it's because those of us who are interested in tech and now even those of us who who might not be but who have seen this thing do something that's you know on adult it's it's amazing right it seems amazing we're excited about it but then you have microsoft and google and all these companies that have to productize it otherwise why do it and even if google didn't have the history with ai that it did they have to productize it because microsoft is doing it which is why you know we're forcing it into to search right now uh and, and whether search is the best or worst application they've got to find some way to to put it into products which i don't think is good for us as humans, I don't. You know, it, may, it may be successful for those companies. It may, in fact, lead to better AI, however we define it. I don't know whether that means accurate or, or what it means, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a it's a good thing for us that we have more AI. But it keeps Microsoft and Google afloat, I suppose. Even in uh, December, this is a headline from the New York Times from December: a new chatbot is a code red for Google's search business. A new wave of chatbots like ChatGPT use artificial intelligence that could reinvent or even replace the traditional internet search engine. So even back in December, this terrified uh, Google. Um, and, of course, Microsoft had the announcement on Tuesday. On Wednesday, Google threw together, hastily threw together, its own event where they announced they were going to have their own... <coughs> Uh, chat gpt like ai called uh bard originally apprentice bard uh be uh, in google search they didn't say when nor did nor did microsoft by the way it's not available generally yet but they did show a uh, animated gif of bard answering a question what new discoveries from the james webb space telescope can i tell my nine-year-old about and it got it come wrong two of the three answers it provided were correct but in the third, the third bullet point was, and you could tell your nine-year-old, we got the first pictures of an exoplanet, a Earth-like planet in another solar system, to which many astronomers, including one astronomer from the University of California, Santa Cruz, said, I took a picture of an exoplanet 14 years ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> so you got to wonder, was there nobody at Google looking at these answers or checking? And that's certainly not a good way to announce it. Your new chat for they, they were they were using the editors from CNET. Um, yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. But now I, I think you know another another big issue with using search as the first application for this, uh, as the first mainstream application for this, is the fact that you know AIs don't really learn on the these models don't learn on the fly. You have to run them through your training data. And every time that data set changes, you have to completely rerun that training. That's why when you play with ChatGPT, the ChatGPT, the GPT 3, 3.5 model was trained on data back in 2021. So it was current up through the time, up through the moment that it was, that they ran the training in 2021. Uh, but, you know, if you, if you ask it about anything that is from the last two years, it will almost certainly get it wrong. And, for a search engine, you know, it has to be current. It has to be kept current in real time all the time. And, you know, this is, you know, all, again, also one of the challenges with automated driving where you're trying to use AI that it has that the, the models have to be continuously updated. And for something like a search engine that is so vast, there's so much data out there, rerunning that training continuously to keep it 
fresh, you know, in you know within minutes or at least hours, uh, which is what we expect today from a Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo. Uh, you know, when something pops up on the web, we expect it to be found almost immediately. That um, doing that with with a, a, a large language model seems like it would be both impractical and use enormous amounts of energy um, and, and time to do that. Yeah, people are already talking about the environmental impact uh, of mm-hmm. this. Chat GPT costs millions of dollars a day. We know that because Sam Altman has uh, said so. He called it an eye-wateringly large number. Uh, and and Chat GPT, when it was first released, only was up to date through spring of last year, of 20, or no, 2021, even older than that. So to keep it running constantly, spidering the web as Google does with its its spiders would cost kind of an unheard of amount of money. ChatGPT and, Plus and, and has Google Google has gone to enormous efforts to make their spidering mechanisms as efficient as possible, right? Um, to to minimize the amount of energy uh, that that's consumed for that, and even that consumes a lot. Doing this with a large language model would be far far worse. Now there are ways to make AI models more efficient in terms of the at least um, you know once they've been trained um, you can optimize them to make them more efficient you know but then what ends up happening is you tend to lose some some resolution some granularity from that which then you know has its own issues and there's a lot of work being done on making processors more efficient for uh, for processing this kind of data. Um, and I saw some some interesting stuff at CES this year um, on processor, you know, AI accelerator chips that they're trying to make, uh, trying to really optimize the performance per watt on those. But that's to do that at the kind of scale that you would need for a search engine. Uh, I mean, they're nowhere near, nowhere near that well, so kind of capability. There's yet. really two questions, or maybe more than two, but there's at least two. One is, should we even be trying to do this? Is it useful? And and third, is it is it cost effective? A couple of researchers from a company called Semi Analysis, Dylan Patel and Afaz Ahmad, are quoted in Forbes saying how expensive it would be to to give Google like search capabilities to Chat GPT. Uh, they said it, it would represent a direct transfer of thirty billion dollars of Google's profit into the hands of the picks and shovels of the computing industry. Probably Microsoft, because one of the reasons Microsoft's invested in ChatGPT is it's running on Azure. Uh, they say deploying right. current ChatGPT into every search done by Google would require half a million A100HGX servers with a total of 4 million A100 GPUs. The total cost of these servers and networking exceeds $100 billion of, of capital expenditure alone just, just to build them, of which NVIDIA would get a large portion. I guess they make the A100s. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Nvidia's going. They're rubbing their hands with glee. Microsoft's rubbing their hands with glee. Well, and so get ready for this. Imagine the um, regulatory issues because if if the only way right now financially you can make this happen is to sign a deal with one of the big cloud computing platforms, and those are also the platforms that are investing in these companies. Um, there was an article I saw this week where. People were complaining. I know of academics that want to start companies, but the upfront capital cost is so huge that the only the first conversation they have to have is they have to go to one of the big cloud providers and sign a deal with them. So don't you think that 
regulators, the Justice Department would look at that as a certain <laughs> pretty clear cut case of um, anti-competitive practice. Well, if this new industry, everybody has to go to the incumbents yeah. to, to sign a deal. But on the other hand, I'm sure regulators want this to come along because this is the kind of disruption that can create new startups and uh, but you could it couldn't if if, if the you have only to go way to you microsoft do it, and amazon right and google right. to do it yeah uh by the way uh i you know it could, it could very well be microsoft thought you know for a mere 10 billion dollars we can get google to spend 30 billion dollars on infrastructure so that uh, i mean who knows? And in fact, Sachi Najala said something essentially to that effect in an interview earlier this week with uh, with Neil Patel. After their announcement, you know, he, he talked about uh, you know how what they're doing is is forcing um, Google to come to the dance. Oh yeah, and who's who's the piper? Who's the fiddler? <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, the old Bill Gates thing. We don't have to make a dime on the web browser. We right. the, the, Microsoft doesn't have to make a dime on search, but Google sure does. Google employees not thrilled about this rushed uh, launch of uh, Bard. In fact, they called it, uh, on, there's an internal uh, board, message board in Google called Meme Gen. And according to CNBC, which saw some of the messages, the board filled with criticisms of company leadership, calling it rushed and botched, comically short-sighted. Stock market didn't like it either. Alphabet shares dropped 9%. How did NVIDIA do this week? I should have checked. Interesting. No, they've been up. They've been up yeah. a lot. Yeah. Ungoogly, according to some of the messages. Um, Microsoft might have pulled a little, um, you know, in football, since the big game is tomorrow, uh, sometimes you'll line up pretending that you're going to run in a fourth down situation, trying to get the opponents to false start, to jump ahead, so you can get a little five yards extra before the punt. Maybe Microsoft did a little, did a little, uh, a little faint to get Google to leap off the line prematurely. I think it's it's strategically brilliant because if again, let's assume that Google could have done this five years ago, could have done a ChatGPT and released it as a standalone product, but didn't again for the most obvious reason, which would be they have their golden goose, which is search advertising, and this obviates that. Um, so number one. Microsoft has gotten more people to talk about Bing in the last week than they have in the last five years. And they forced Google to um, rush products out that they had previously decided. We know they previously decided this isn't probably good enough. And then number three, by th they've, they've moved. If Google was hoping, if we have to kill the golden goose someday, hopefully we can mitigate that over a period of a decade or something like that. So they're forcing... Google to make decisions about whether or not to burn the boats sooner than they maybe were ready for. Interesting. Um, and, yeah. and again, Microsoft gets nothing. There's no negative to Microsoft out of this other than a lot of money spent on their cloud platform. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. And, and I think, you know, what we saw from Google this week was another, another proof point in, in Mike Elgin's assessment of Satya or yeah, of uh, Sundar me. Pichai as CEO of Alphabet and Google. Yeah, that, Mike has you know, said... That he's not actually very good at it. Yeah, Mike will be on Twig on the Wednesday. He'll probably take a now, little Now, I, I would lap. be interested to know how the perception would have been different had Google not had this giant fail. Because the first headlines I read about this, and this is not to defend Google by or defend or attack them for me, honestly, uh, but had they not 
the first headlines said Google loses a hundred million dollars when the when the first stock the first that was the first headline, and so it was obviously on the level of you know great demo fails that we've seen from companies in the past, including Google a couple of years ago when they uh, made people crazy uh, with the uh, AI based uh, voice assistant that they were demoing and didn't work out so well, and so I, I'm sure that there is a lot of internal concern at Google of the kind that kept them out of chat. Uh, out of AI previously because of ethical issues. But I also feel like there's nothing like a pylon. Uh, and, and I think the assessment that you guys have made about Microsoft's position and all this makes total sense. But I, I do think it's sort of easy to sort of pile on Google at this point and say, well, they had this terrible demo, which proves they're doing a bad job. And there may be plenty of other reasons to indicate they're doing a oh, bad job. And again, I've heard from everyone that Google actually has the better technology, right? And people are like, it makes... ChatGPT look amateurish. It's just that they weren't ready to release it. So mm-hmm. I, I'm still, in, until proven otherwise, I'm still willing to believe that Google has the goods. It's just that they weren't ready to put the shine on the goods and present it to the public, I think. Well, there was a good Wired article that sort of gave some of the history of how, how we got ChatGPT, and we've talked about some of it, where you have this model from 2021 that the CEO of ChatGPT says, of OpenAI says, uh, let's release it to the public, and an unsuspecting public is all of a sudden able to use this technology, and it's all anybody's been talking about for a couple of months, but it's old technology, and it, but it's a great big PR balloon to go back to balloons. It's it's an opportunity to get into the public consciousness in a way that that company and that technology hadn't been before. Certainly there was Dali and there are all the other uh, things that have been out in 2022 that have to do with images, uh, but nothing like this, uh, nothing that captured the general public's imagination. And so Google's hand was forced. And, and I don't think it's good for the future of AI. And it's probably not good for all the incumbents involved with the possible exception of Microsoft. Let me ask you this. If uh, if Bing does come out with a chat enhanced search, would you consider changing from Google to Bing, Shelley? Why well, use DuckDuckGo? So what do I know? Okay, uh, or I switching know, from DuckDuckGo? Well, I guess I guess for me, I have to figure out what it is that I want from search that AI would give me. I, the, a lot of the searching I do has to do with my day job. It has to do with finding. Uh, sources for stories I want to write. It has to do with finding new stories initially that I can turn into segments for the radio show or for my podcasts. And I, I have to ask myself, other than the sheer entertainment and technology enthusiast perspective, what does AI provide me in terms of search? And that case, case hasn't been made to me as an individual. Would I try it? Of course I would. Would yeah. I give it all sorts of fun experiments to do? Yeah. But I don't have a use case for it in my own life. A lot of people are probably not in the same boat I'm in. Uh, and I am a sort of a careful adopter when things like that come along. Uh, but, but, Kelly, but I'm not ready to change. How about you, Brian? Chat. Would you consider changing I'm, to a Bing.com? Well, I was going to say, I don't know if anyone read Joanna Stern's hands-on with the the um, the Bing, or maybe it was more with the um, the Edge browser version of it. But what she was describing was more the, she like asked it for um, questions, she was interviewing Satya Nadella, and she asked it for questions that a Joanna Stern might ask Satya Nadella. And she's like, "I didn't. Not all of them were good, but there were some good ideas in there that I used." And she said, "It's a, it's it's maybe we have to think of search in a different way. Maybe it's not search in the way that we're used to it." She said that I'm already using this tool 
to come up with story ideas. It's not writing the story for me, but it's prompt. Again, it's prompt engineering. Mm-hmm. It's it's giving me ideas that I'm free to take or not take. It's me as the conductor. I'm not the one performing. I'm, I'm the the conductor analogy is sort of like you use this tool to to do the things and sing in the right direction, but you're still in charge. But as opposed to just put a keyword in, get a link to a page, you can use this in sort of the Star Trek The Next Generation computer thing to to give ideas to steer in a different direction. Um, you know, the, 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 the example Microsoft used for the browser was like if you wanted to craft a response to your boss in an email um, and it had access to your email. So it says, all right, uh, give me the give me the status of the TPS reports and it would know the whole history of the TPS reports because it would have access to your email and it would say to you, okay, do you want a hopeful response? Do you want a skeptical response? Do you want a humorous response? And then you, you, it's up to you to either cut and paste that or whatever, but it gives you thought starters and things like that. Like that to me is something that's a level, that's a type of computing that we really haven't done a lot of till now. How about you? I think that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. I think, I think what Brian, I think Brian's onto something there, but I think that there's, uh, that brings up another problem though. And that, you know, one, one thing we've seen over the last decade, especially is um, we've become really bad at media literacy, you know, at filtering through and, and picking out what are, what are the, what's real, what's not, you know, picking through the misinformation and um, picking out the, the, the genuine information that we should be paying attention to. And I think um, what, what Brian's onto is, is, is a really good idea of, you know, if, if we can use tools like this to generate those prompts in our minds to give us things to think about, the problem is, I think it's going to require a whole lot of education for everybody in terms of how to use it in a way that is going to be positive and um, and actually useful to us and not create new problems. Yes. Because I, it, it, it can definitely really go off the rails very quickly. I agree with you, but sorry, I, lo- I lost my point and I, and I was I wanted to, to point it to Shelly and give her ideas of where I think it might be useful for her to create podcasts and things. So another analogy I've heard people use is why do TV shows have a writer's room? Because it's like, all right, for this next episode, what are the eight things that could happen to our characters? Or why does a a magazine or in the old days used to have an editorial meeting? What are the 10 stories that we could put in the next issue? And so in essence, I think even Joanna might've said this, that, you know, what it becomes is your own personal writer's room where you can come up with jokes. You, it'll, it'll help you come up with idea, story ideas and things like that. Um, and again, well, I hear what you're saying in terms of getting the answers right. Like you wouldn't want your doctor using this stuff yet. But for now, I am intrigued by that sort of level of usage where it is prompt-based, it is idea-based, and then it's up to you to sift the wheat from the chaff, you know? I take that point, and I, I really do. And I, I was thinking about, well, an example that came to mind is, what if I got a call tomorrow, and I and the caller said, uh, you get to interview Sundar Pichai or Sacha Nadella. You could interview one of those guys, and you have an hour 
before the interview starts. And I am in my own little bubble. I mean, I know how to research. I can, I would be panicking because I, I want to ask good questions. I don't just want to ask, so how do you think Microsoft is going to do this quarter? Or, hey, what's up with, what's up with ChatGPT? I want to ask good, intelligent questions. And I can see a tool like this giving me prompts. I, I start by giving it prompts and it comes back with substance based on not only whatever publication or podcast I might be working for in the sort of the, the, the uh, approach that we typically take, uh, what my own interests are that it would presumably know, and what my readers slash listeners are interested in. And I, I can see that if there's a way in which it's actually really intellectually stimulating to think about how you could ask more deeper questions than you could ask just of a search engine where you're looking for a link in response. And I think that's another aspect of media literacy where it's not simply that you have to not trust things that are potentially lying to you or giving you bad facts, but that you actually have to change the way you think in order to get the most out of this resource. And that's actually a really interesting educational discipline that we could see down the road that, that I'd be sort of fascinated to be a part of. Google's always said that um, this has been somewhat controversial. People search for looking, often search for an answer. Sometimes you search for the nearest pizza place. Sometimes you search to find out who is somebody. And, but a lot of times they just want an answer. And uh, Google has increasingly given its search results as answers, which has bothered a lot of publications because they're not driving traffic. This is, I did a search for who won the Grammys this year uh, on Google. And it gives you a knowledge graph with the, there's the winners right there, obviously extracted from somewhere. I don't have to go any further than that. It's got an overview. It's got nominations. It also has a knowledge graph on the right that it pulls solely from Wikipedia. And one of the things that's gotten Google in trouble with original sources is, well, done, right? I don't need to click any of the subsequent links. In fact, good luck getting to the subsequent links. That's a long scroll. Because Google's already extracted the answer that I want. And Google's answer is, well, that's why people search. I'm going to show you. I use another search engine called Neva. Let me search for who won the Grammys 2023 on Neva. Neva uses an AI. It's generated this knowledge graph from four sources, BBC, New York Post, HuffPost, CNN, about who won. Not as complete as the Google answer. But maybe for many uh, qu queries, this would be sufficient. Again stopping me from going further, right? Answering this simple question. I think one thing that we're going to see that Google has not addressed, Microsoft has not addressed is, and this is the problem you've seen with chat GPT and stable diffusion and other AI is by scraping original content, it's giving people no need to go any farther. And it's in effect, disintermediating sites like yours Brian's, you know, like your podcast, like Tech Meme, like like Sam's podcast, like Shelly's podcast, because they've extracted the information people want and they're just going to provide it right on the search page. The, the worrying thing is that it obviates the need for search. The galaxy brain thing is it obviates the need for media. Yeah. And uh, you could see why Microsoft, Google and others might want that. I think they're going to get a world of hurt from the original sources. And by the way, if you kill the original sources, then you have no, f no fuel for your AI. Well, okay. Another galaxy brain thing, Leo, everyone is talking about how potentially the internet could be flooded with a ton of spam from this 
like me creating a, some dumb YouTube video. You could game about, it. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. what if, so right now, all of these tools have been based, have been fed on the internet. What if two years from now, half of the internet is spam generated by the bots? Right. Then what happens to the quality of the bots? Their feet, then they become a, a right. vicious cycle. Their right? source it's, it's a recursive thing well, that could happen where the quality would go down. Well, then, then, then you, then you either keep going and you end up in idiocracy, or you say, okay, we're gonna at the point when we turned on Chat GPT, we're not gonna train it on any more new content. After right, that. exactly. Like, so my theory is, what if it's like varietals? Like the 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 type of grape, the flavor of grape. What if the business model and or the skill set is, well, you can trust our varietal of this AI because we've only trained it on the best huh. medicine stuff, right? Well, that's what Neva. By us. the way, Neva does. Yeah, which is interesting. If you ask it about, uh, if you say, what do COVID vaccines work? It will. It is already pre-identified. Certain sources is verified and trusted, and will only give you results from those verified and trusted sources. Not another. So then, not so then, do you end up having? Do you end up creating a market for custom, high-quality AI-based? That's what I'm suggesting. Well, interestingly, right. Neva but, but is actually not this, free. This, Neva is a five-dollar a month paid alternative to Google. And uh, you know, free, something like this actually just happened this past week. Um, there was. Uh, a Twitch channel that was running a completely procedurally generated AI generated um, Seinfeld like um, yeah it was terrible animated too. show yeah, running yeah. continuously it's not funny yeah you know, that was generating the dialogue and generating the animation um, but what happened was they for some reason that I I can't recall exactly right now they had to switch to a different version of GPT from the one they were originally using and very quickly. Um, within you know a, a day or so, it might have even been hours. It started making um, transphobic and homophobic statements in that dialogue, and Twitch pulled it down because you know you had this varietal. You know, went it switched to a different varietal of the AI model that <laughs> just went completely off the rails within hours. Yeah, yeah, not that. Its loss is mourned, but yeah. No. (laughs) So really the question, I mean, it's so, so funny because what's happened is these companies have almost been panicked into rushing this stuff out. They've been holding on to it for a long time. Even OpenAI was really slow and judicious until recently at releasing its chat bots or its uh, art bots. But all of a sudden, there's this land rush, and they're panicking, and they're all releasing it at once. What do you think the outcome of this is going to be? Are we going to finally all just say, you know what, it's a parlor trick, it's stupid, forget about it? Or do we buy into it uh, as much as the big companies are buying into it, and suddenly idiocracy? What What is the outcome of all of this? Shelley, what do you think? Well, first of all, I think my biggest concern about all of this is not whatever the initial thing is, whether we get some sort of AI generated search out of it, but how, because it's generative AI, how we move forward and whether that's the spam we were talking about or whether it's just a new new normal on the internet. I don't know what that is. And I don't know that we have the ability to 
sort of control it or or process it at this point. Have we already and, and lost I, control? I, really? I don't know. But, but we got to send ago, somebody back in time, quick. <laughs> sounds like a plan. Let's write that up. Uh, we'll have the AI write that up. But but when Dali came out, it was easy for me to ignore the art stuff. I mean, not not that I had I had great sympathy for artists who were concerned about it. Right. Uh, but it it didn't seem practical in the same way. Once they started talking about writing, then I cared all of a sudden. Uh, but it it feels like it's gone too far in terms of putting it back in the bottle. Uh, it, and it obviously Microsoft and Google are so completely engaged in it. I don't think it's going to come out the way they necessarily want it to. I don't think it's going to be like a traditional, well, we're going to Microsoft and Google, Google are going to battle for a while. And then one of them is going to have supremacy because of their superior technology or their superior marketing or whatever. I, I think it's, I think it's too early to predict it, to be honest. I think we're in this sort of wild west how, how many metaphors can I jump into one <laughs> sentence? But, but I think we're kind of in is the it West world. Are we in West world? Is Yul Brenner coming be. for us? I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The original West world is back. Yul Brenner is after us. Uh, it's, it's always been it's, our fear. It's interesting because it's always been our fear about AI that we would lose control, that Whopper or Yul Brenner would, would take over and, uh, or, you know, Skynet. And, and I don't, and when I say lose control, I, I'm not even talking about some sort of all encompassing, big bad i think it's it's easy to sort of knock those worries down because oh well, well luddites or people who don't understand or care about technology are going to always say something like that but i do think there are ways in which and i, I think we we always see it with technology when some whether it's social media or, or whatever it is there are ways in which things grow and mutate in an unanticipated fashion and i think we're at the stage right now where there's no sort of governors on how this stuff is going to change and grow and evolve. And I don't mean regulation specifically, although that's an issue, uh, but just in terms of like how much is out there and how much technology that is controlled by different people who want to fight each other for market supremacy. Can I, um, can I give you a I'm best not. case scenario? Yeah. Because I, we all know what the worst case scenario is. There's a reason why in the Dune universe uh, computers were outlawed and you had to have those guys in the tanks <laughs> piloting right. the ships. Right. Um, Here's the best case scenario for the near term, and I have to credit Mark Andreessen. I heard him say this on a podcast months ago, but like, do you prefer an older doctor or a younger doctor? An older doctor has more experience. A younger doctor maybe is more up on the latest thing. Do you trust when you go to the doctor that they're having a good day or a bad day? Maybe she is going through a divorce and is distracted or whatever. Here's the best case scenario that 10 years from now, you go to the doctor, there's an AI ambiently in the background listening to the consultation. You describe your symptoms, you know, it reads the, the x-rays, et cetera. And it's not going to have a good day or a bad day because it's an AI. It's, late, it's up on all of the latest stuff, even the stuff that was just published 30 minutes ago. And it can give you a 99.999% accurate diagnosis, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. In the same way that, and Sam, you can speak to this, that in theory, self-driving cars are safer than humans. And so the role of the doctor becomes the counselor. Okay, this is what the AI says is going on. Here are your options. Here's the option recommended by the AI. But let's think of these other things. And it becomes more of a counselor thing than a diagnostic thing. Yeah, we put and doctors so, again, in, in get, a terrible position because they're supposed to have perfect memories and be good at yeah. bedside manner and handholding. And so again, yeah. it comes back to that sort of man-computer symbiosis where you're the conductor, you're the prompt engineer, and you you don't expect the computer to be perfect every time, but your 
as a professional, your job is to sort of get the best out of that instrument. This is very Mark Zuckerberg because, of course, that's the best case scenario. Sure. Does it, and we're already right learning again. that this doctor could also say, you know, that gallbladder, take his foot off and, that, and be completely wrong, in other words. And, uh, well, that's why the mutation scares me more than the concept itself. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to argue AI good or AI bad, but the mutations are what are that. We're <laughs> seeing that AI could be wrong, more, yeah. more to the point. And you don't want a doctor to be wrong. Sam, what do you, right. what do you think? And, and, and I, you know, I, I like where Brian was going with that, you know, as a best case scenario. It's very positive. I think yeah. I, ideal, ideally, you know, having you know, something like an AI as a co-pilot, you know, to, to augment human capability, I think is, is fantastic. I think, I think it's a, a that, that would be ideal, it, you know, to, because there are, all, you know, human memory is, is always flawed. You know, there, um, there are advantages um, to, you know, things that we gain from human experience and the nuance of the way humans think and process information that, I think, you know, in that, that role as the counselor can be extremely valuable. Um, and if you can get the AI to the point where it can filter through the erroneous information and keep that out of it, I think that would be great. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I remain unconvinced that we can get there. Um, but self-driving cars are a good template for this because, we do like driver assist AI technologies, right? Uh, to some degree, yes. I mean, even even those you know have their have very strong limitations. On well, but them. the humans never uh, gives up complete control. You always kind of, in case the AI decides to drive into a wall, you always keep some control. Well, that's the that's the theory. the The reality is, though, that. When you have a system, you know, whether, whether it's just a mechanical machine doing something or uh, a piece of software that's doing something that works really well most of the time, the, the, closer, it, the closer that machine or software uh, or me- the closer that mechanism, whatever it is, whether it's hardware or software, the closer that mechanism gets to 100%, you start to get into that uncanny valley where – we trust it so much that we cannot be we as, as humans cannot necessarily be trusted as the supervisors to say that yes this you know this is okay or maybe this is a better solution we tend to um then give up control to that machine right. we we are not good at retaining that level of control that we need and what we see with um with some of the um assisted driving systems out there is that the better it works most of the time, then um, you know the more likely we are to become complacent about it. Right. And then what we actually end up needing is more mechanisms to keep us engaged in the process of supervising the original mechanism. <laughs> so you end up with something like GM Super Cruise, where you have a lane centering and, and speed control system that works really well most of the time, but it requires human supervision. So you add a driver monitor system to monitor the driver to make sure the driver is still monitoring the other system. And, it, you know, I'm not sure that it's necessarily improving things right. um, because it, it creates new new cognitive workloads for, for humans 
And, you know, it gets back to what I said earlier, but it requires a whole new kind of education for the people using these tools, you know, whatever, what, you know, in whatever context to understand and monitor what they're doing and to make the best decisions about, okay, is what this is telling me good or is this nonsense, you know, and do I need to ignore the, the mechanism and go with my own my own knowledge, my own intuition, or, you know, do I just follow what it's saying blindly? It really is that dichotomy. And on the one hand, <laughs> we want to, we want these things to be as smart as possible, trust them as much as possible, because it would really be a great thing to lift mm -hmm. the burden <laughs> off of us and let us do things we're good at and not have to do things we're not so good at. And on the other hand, uh, it, it looks like these things have the judgment and intelligence of a four-year-old. And nobody in their right mind would trust them to take over anything. <laughs> and we're stuck in the middle right now. And I don't know if it's because of timing or because this is actually the problem inherent in this. Let's take a little break. I want to take a little break. We've got a great panel. And we're not going to end this discussion because there's a, a Super Bowl ad coming up about this very topic. Sam Abul Samad is here. He is a car guy, uh, Wheel Bearings podcast. He's also regular on our shows. We love having him. Uh, thank you for being here, Sam. I appreciate it. From the tech pleasure. meme ride home, Brian McCullough, internet historian and podcaster. Always a pleasure to have you, Brian. And Shelly Brisbane, you know her from the incomparable and sixcolors.com. And if you live in Texas, or even if you don't, you probably know the Texas Standard. And Shelly is a producer and reporter there. What is the website for Texas Standard? That would be texasstandard.org, Leo. That's pretty easy. I should have known that. It is. Yeah. And, uh, yes, our show is available as a podcast. So if you're a Texas expat, we have a, quite a substantial Texas expat community that listens to our show that way. So if you're not from Texas, there's not a lot here for you. Is that what well, you're no, saying? Well, come on. I wouldn't say that. I would say that if you're a Texas <laughs> oh, expat, we... there's more for you. However, if you would like to know why Dairy Queens in Texas are very different than Dairy Queens in other states, or ah. if you would like to know what our governor has been up to this week, we have got you covered on both of those. Dairy fronts. Queen is just, and, and I, I saw that article. Us, <laughs> just those of us not in Texas need to be keeping an eye on Texas just in case. <laughs> yes. I, I agree. If you <laughs> think a, <laughs> a steak finger country basket sounds good, you need to, you need to go to DQ in Dallas <laughs> or a hunger buster. Mm -mm -mm. Our show today, thank you, Shelly, our show today. <laughs> Dairy Queen sponsoring the show today. DQ, <laughs> I wish they were, you know, because I could use a hunger buster right now or maybe a, what was it, a finger basket? That sounds so good. Steak finger basket? Steak, steak fingers. Or, well, there's the country know, basket and the steak finger. I don't know beef finger. had fingers. Finger I don't, yeah. <laughs> our show, no, our show today is not brought to you by DQ. This Week at Tech is brought to you by Bitwarden. 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 We talk to so many people these days who are ready to leave those other guys, after their horrific breach, their lack of concern and lack of communication for their customers, can I recommend the password manager I've been using for the last two years, the password manager I trust and love, Bitwarden. It's the only open source cross-platform password manager you can use at home, at work, on the go, and trusted by millions. I think a great many of us have switched over to Bitwarden. i Happy to say I did that a few years ago. Bitwarden's easy to use. It's cross-platform. But more importantly, it's open source. So you know exactly what's going on. And when there are, is a better way to do things, people contribute. And Bitwarden gets better. 
Bitwarden will let you securely store your credentials across your business and your personal worlds. If you're using a personal account, free forever, I might add, across multiple platforms with unlimited passwords, uh, you can even store your vault uh, on your own. You can keep it out of any centralized storage, and that's pretty nice. Of course, Bitwarden doesn't track data in the mobile apps. In fact, only crash reporting, and even that is removed in the F-Droid installation if you're on Android. Bitwarden's open source invites anybody to review the library implementations at any time on GitHub to review the Bitwarden privacy policies at bitwarden.com slash privacy. Uh, it's the one I trust. I love these guys at Bitwarden. Protect your personal data and privacy with Bitwarden by adding security to your passwords with strong, randomly generated, unique passwords for every account. But you can go a step further because they also have a username generator. So you can create unique usernames for each account. In fact, if you use one of the five integrated email alias services, you can have unique emails for every account. That kind of doubles your security. Not only does a hacker have to guess your password, they got to guess your email. Works with simple login, a non-addy, Firefox Relay, our sponsor, Fastmail, and now, Shelly, DuckDuckGo. They will allow you to create a masked email address, one you can use only once on one website, for example, forwards any email to that primary email account when you get email at that address. It's a really great way to keep an eye on people. See if they're selling your email address off. Use a unique email address with them. You'll know if anybody else sends you email. They sold your address. And it keeps your main email address out of the databases of services and sites you sign up for. It's just an extra security layer, and it's great. It works so well. Bitwarden, great for business, too. Fully customizable, adapts to your business needs. The Teams organization, the uh, $3 a month per user for a smaller organization. If you're a big company, your enterprise plan. $5 a month per user. Uh, it, it adds new features, too, like sharing data securely with coworkers across departments of the entire company. The basic free account, though, for individuals, free forever for an unlimited number of passwords. You can always upgrade to the premium account. I did that just to support Bitwarden. 10 bucks a year. Come on, man. There's a family plan as well. Gives up to six users all the premium features for just $3.33 a month. Very easy to get data into Bitwarden. If you're on another password manager, it's so simple to export that data, import it in Bitwarden, and you're good to go. Look, you know you got to use a password manager. If you're not, you're really at risk. But it's important you choose the right password manager. Choose Bitwarden, the only open-source, cross-platform password manager you can use at home, you can use on the go, you can use at work, trusted by millions of individuals, teams, and organizations worldwide. Get started with a free trial right now of Teams or Enterprise or free for all devices forever as an individual user at bitwarden.com slash twit. Really, there, there shouldn't be any reason not to use a password manager. Make it easy. Make it free. Just go to bitwarden.com slash twit. Tell your friends. Tell your family. Uh, it's just the right thing to do. Bitwarden.com slash twit. We thank you for their support of uh, This Week in Tech. We thank you for supporting us by using that address so they know you saw it here. Bitwarden.com slash twit. Uh, don't, you don't want to put all your passwords in one stake finger country basket, my friend. You want to spread it across <laughs> or something. I don't know. That didn't, that, that didn't really work. I've got my mind still on DQ. All right. You know the name, I'm sure, Sam. Dan O'Dowd. He I is do. a California entrepreneur, a billionaire who has been buying ads 
slamming Tesla's full self-driving. He's now going to buy a Super Bowl ad. Now, he's not buying the, the full ticket item, the one you see coast to coast nationwide. That's $7 million for 30 seconds. But he is going to buy Super Bowl ads in all the major states, in the state capitals, in Washington, D.C. He wants to speak to legislators. Austin, Tallahassee, Albany, Atlanta, and Sacramento. Now, Sam, tell us who Dan O'Dowd is. So, Dan... Oh, Dan O'Dowd is the um, the CEO and founder of Green Hills Software, uh, which is a company that uh, has been making, uh, among other things, real-time operating systems uh, since the early 1980s. Um, very secure, very safe system, uh, so software systems. Um, they run on everything from uh, satellites and military hardware to um, vehicles. A lot, you know, there's a lot of Green Hills software uh, in most vehicles uh, around the world. Oh, that's interesting. And, so maybe he yeah. has a little competitive um, um, issue? No, not really. Um, I mean, you know, what the, the software that Green Hills makes, you know, is lower level operating software, uh, operating system software. So, you know, he, they're not making the software that runs, um, that, that, that runs. Uh, so it's not competitive. Vehicles. But he, d- no, he does, he does want legislatures to ban f- Tesla style full self-driving, right? Here's, here's his tweet yeah. with video. I guess this is 30 second ad. This is the one that's going to run, uh, on, on Super Bowl in some local markets, Tesla full self-driving. There's a kid on a skateboard. Boom. <laughs> Got him. Mm-hmm. There's a, there, <laughs> here's a Tesla hitting a stroller in a crosswalk, just driving right through it. Uh, not stopping for a school bus. Um, Elon says the guy's nuts. What do you Elon's think? Elon's wrong. Elon's, you think this he, is credible? He's wrong. Yeah. Yes, it's absolutely credible. Uh, you know, Jeez, uh, the, uh, the Don the Project, that which is, <laughs> yeah, the, the Don Project, which is uh, O'Dowd's uh, current uh, effort that uh, that is doing this, um, is you know they're not the first, they're not and not the only ones to be creating uh, or to to be doing this kind of testing and evaluation of different driving assist systems. Um, Luminar, for example, a LiDAR manufacturer, uh, they've done similar demos uh, to this uh, showing that um, Tesla's camera-only system. The, the, pro- the thing that O'Dowd is against is a system like what Tesla is using that is a camera-only system uh, that you know, doesn't have some deterministic components to it. It's not, it's not safe the way Tesla has done it. And, and particularly, not only is their approach to the problem of automated driving and driver assist not sufficiently safe, um, but also um, the way that they've marketed it and, and sold this capability that they call full self-driving to consumers, um, you know, for up to $15,000 per vehicle. And it is nowhere close to being full self-driving. I've tried the, the FSD beta. It is not capable of safely driving, of safely operating a vehicle without human supervision. As so, what should you earlier. call? What should he? What should Elon have called it? I mean, if you want to call it something, you know, like driver um, assist, drive, yeah, driver assist system. You know, I mean, there's there's lots of different brand names out there um, from various companies. Uh, you know, GM has Super Cruise, Ford has Blue Cruise. Uh, you know, they're 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 driving you know some something that doesn't imply that the the system is more capable than it is because what you know what what's what 
what he's talking about here is a phenomenon known as autonomous washing, uh, which is a, a term that was coined like by uh, a woman named uh, Liza Dixon. Uh, she's uh, she's a, a human uh, machine factors uh, researcher, and uh, she wrote a great paper on this co- on this uh, topic a, a few years ago and coined that term autonomous washing. And if you think back, you know, to the late twenty two, late two thousands, early twenty tens, you you'd hear about companies greenwashing, um, where you know they were doing things that you know to try to. Uh, conjure up this image of being more green, more environmentally friendly than they were. Um, autonomous washing, the idea is that you are marketing or or you know, talking about a system that is more capable. You're, you're making it seem as the system, as though the system is more capable of driving the vehicle safely than it is. And, uh, and that's problematic because it gets back to what I talked about earlier, where as humans you know, see the system functioning a lot of the time, the more it functions correctly, the more they are inclined to trust it and then to not supervise it correctly. And then when it does hit those inevitable um, limits of its capabilities, then you get into problems where, you know, it can't properly detect a pedestrian or it can't properly detect how far away uh, you are from a fire truck that's sitting uh, or a police vehicle that's sitting on the edge of the road and runs right into it um, or can't, tell the difference between uh, a traffic signal uh, that is sitting on the back of a truck being transported by a crew to somewhere for installation from one that that is actually you know at a, at an intersection um, so, so so I mean they even warn here's the disclaimer in the full self-driving and and, and this is by the way from the dawn projects website uh, yeah. it says it well, may this, do this, the, the wrong thing up. at the worst time. Yeah, this this comes up, you know, in a Tesla with FSD. Um, the you know when you launch uh, FSD for the first time, when you enable it, that is the actual message. I've seen that come up. Yeah, uh, that that is the message that comes up on the screen. When full self driving is enabled, your vehicle will make lane changes off highway, select forks, all the good things it does. But you but you have to pay attention and keep your hands on the yes. wheel, right? Because it might do the wrong thing. If you watch the, some of these videos that were uploaded to YouTube. Uh, of mistakes made by full self-driving, you'd know. Keep your hands on the wheel. And who's yeah. liable, by the way, if you if you do you blow are. past the, a the, school the, bus? The, dri- the, dri- the driver is. Tesla yeah. does not accept liability for the performance of their autopilot or FSD, which is different from other manufacturers. Uh, Mercedes-Benz, for example, last year launched a system in Germany that uh, should be coming to the U.S., Later this year, called Drive Pilot. It's a so-called Level Three system where the driver is not required to watch the road. So it's a hands-off system and an eyes-off system, but you still have to be behind the wheel and ready to take over within about ten seconds if it's reaching the limits of its capability. What does O'Dowd um, want? What is his goal here besides scaring he, the hell out of me? Yeah, he he wants. It's, well, most specifically, he wants uh, regulators to prevent Tesla from selling. Um, something that is claimed to be self-driving that is not. He is um, Tesla is yeah. banned in uh, some states. I think California from from calling it full self-driving, right? Yeah, they California passed a law, but they haven't doesn't don't seem to have actually done anything to enforce oh. it yet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we'll see. He we'll wants see. the National Highway Transportation yeah. Sa- and Safety Administration to ban FSD, ban Tesla yes. FSD. Uh, yeah, and many of us have been saying that for many years yeah. um, that you know that they should not be allowed. You know, and 
both NHTSA, you know, which is the regulator that co- governs automotive transportation safety, and um, the Federal Trade Commission should also be stepping in and saying, look, this is false advertising. This is not self-driving capability. You you cannot sell you cannot sell this as self driving if it is not actually capable of driving the vehicle safely by itself. Yeah, Shelly, uh, uh, I presume you don't have a Tesla. Do not. Uh, it, I was interested in this though because uh, our, our legislature here in Austin, Texas, which meets every two years for about six months has just gone into session ah, and so so they might see be, the super bowl ad tomorrow i i suspect they will and also keep in mind that tesla has a gigafactory here in austin and elon musk has been uh, embraced by a lot of the texas uh, political leaders because of his uh, bringing so much of his empire not only tesla but spacex is here the boring company most of most of what elon is doing has some uh, Texas and Austin specific footprint. We also have the GM cruise uh, taxis here mm-hmm. in Austin. And those have had some problems too. I understand that there are uh, investigations into how those cars operate. I understand when they initially started here, they always had a driver. I believe there might be some, I, I don't know much about the how autonomous they are. Sam probably knows a lot more about it than I do. But there have been some specific issues here in Austin with it backing uh, not not staying in lanes properly and not parking properly. And there haven't been injuries that I'm aware of, but there have been a lot of concerns here in Austin uh, on the local level. And uh, here in the here in the capital city of Texas, our local and our state uh, leaders are often uh, on opposite sides of things. Uh, we have a fairly progressive uh, local government. You're in the and People's Republic gover- of Austin. Sure, the uh, blueberry in the uh, sea of red, as they often say. Uh, and what that means is that sometimes uh, what we're seeing in Austin, whether it be through uh, what's going on with Tesla, with, with full self-driving, or whether it be what's going on with Cruise, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean those concerns are going to percolate to the legislature in the same right. way uh, that they might. So, But there's not, as far as I'm understanding, and we've done a lot of coverage of what's coming up in the legislature, so far there isn't really anything uh, filed or expected to be taken up that has to do with regulation of self-autonomous driving or specifically with Tesla and self-driving. And given Musk's courting, a uh, successful courting of the statewide officials, uh, my guess is a lot won't come of it. But I uh, imagine they also uh, are a fan of what Elon's doing on Twitter. He's made even more friends. Uh, uh, probably. I, I think, I mean, that's sort of a, that, but they don't have a, I mean, it's more on the sort of, Economic political side, yeah, as I understand, yeah. you know, jobs, baby. Jobs. Yeah, so it's, it's the purely on the political side in terms of Twitter, in terms of the job situation. Uh, SpaceX is very popular among uh, elected officials, but it's not very popular in Boca Chica, where there are a lot of environmental impacts. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, back and forth in terms of how people regard Elon down here. Yeah, uh, I had a Tesla Model X, didn't have full self driving, but I knew enough not to trust it even to do a lane change and frequently had to take control uh, of the wheel. I have a Ford Mustang with blue cruise right now and I theoretically could take my hands off the wheel, but I'm still keeping an eye on things. I'm still, I'm still holding on to the wheel uh, just in case no issues yet. How about you, uh, uh, Brian? Do you drive a, do you have a Tesla? Do you have experience with full self-driving? I actually um, rented a model Y uh, over the holidays, and, you know, uh, because I live in New York and, you know, haven't owned a car for 
almost 15 years. Um, all of the things when I get in a car these days that I'm sure are common, like, oh, my God, look at that huge touchscreen, are <laughs> um, still wow factors to me. But just, just the the adaptive cruise control was like, oh, yeah, that's all I need. You know, um, so like really, I know I love know. adaptive cruise control. I'm a fan. Yeah, it's yeah. it's all most people need. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you know, frankly, Sam, tell me how far away this is. All I really want, I don't need the self driving in towns, cities, or whatever. But if I could read a book, I'll still stay behind the the driver's wheel or whatever. If I could watch a movie on that giant touchscreen while on the highway, mm-hmm. that's all I need. Uh, yeah, you know, and and that's that's exactly what the Mercedes Drive Pilot system does, and there there are other systems coming over the next couple of years uh, that that will have that capability uh, for automated highway driving, uh, because that's you know in in the world of automated driving, um, they they have use a term called operational design domain, which is what are the limits of where the system can operate, and um, you know unfortunately you know one of the things that Tesla has done wrong, I think is say, you know, the ODD is everywhere. You know, you can, they're not putting any restrictions on where you can use it. Um, things like uh, Mercedes Drive Pilot, GM Blue Cruise, or GM Super Cruise, Ford Blue Cruise, they're limited to operating on divided highways. And so, um, you know, we're, we're going to see systems like this that allow you to uh, take your hands off. You still, you can't take a nap. You know, you've got to be still awake and, and ready to take over within a reasonable period of time. But you'll be able to read or watch a video um, while you're while you're cruising down the highway. Uh, and then, you know, when it comes, you know, when you set the navigation, when it comes to the, the off ramp, you know, then it'll give you an alert, you know, 10, 15 seconds before and say, hey, get ready to take over control. And then you'll do that. So that that is going to be uh, in cars over the next two, three, four years. Oh, and one other thing too. What Shelley was talking about with the cruise robo taxis in uh, in Austin, yeah, they are they, those are operating without safety driver safety drivers in them. Uh, they started doing that in um, San Francisco uh, June of last year, uh, and then in December this past December they expanded that operation to both uh, Chandler, Arizona, and Austin. Uh, but currently they only operate uh, like that at night uh, between about uh, 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Uh, and only in a relatively small portion of the city as they they gather more data and, and learn uh, and, and get to a point where they have enough confidence to start expanding that operational area. They're in my neighborhood. I've, I've, in fact, we were out pretty late last uh, last week, and we saw one, and it was a weird sight. I was like, wait, is there somebody yeah. in that car? I don't I've, know. I've, I've ridden in them, and I mean, I... I, I've I've seen the reports of some of the issues, and yeah, they're not, they're not perfect, but uh, you know, in in my experience with them, they 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 were they worked very was, well. They worked better than most uh, Lyft or Uber drivers. I was in San Francisco for the first time in about four years, two weekends ago, and at Market Street after ten p.m. It's a little weird, and there was there was one every other every yeah. five minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were all over the place, all over the place. Shelley, uh, I know you have low vision. Do you use a cane, a white stick? I have one. I only use it when I'm in unfamiliar areas. And yeah, as somebody who who does not drive, cannot drive, uh, the idea of self-driving autonomous cars has always been exciting to me. And to be honest, I would get in one of those cruise robot taxis because... I'm. I'm just like. I would like to be driven around by a it's robot freedom. and, and imagine. Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it is. I think and the same thing as I get I, older. I, I, and the problem, you know, the problem with the problem with whatever Tesla's doing and whatever uh, is that 
there are humans interacting with, you know, we talked before about uh, the systems of, um, before, when we were talking about AI, we talked about how humans are involved. Well, in theory, if you had autonomous vehicles, if the, there were only autonomous vehicles on the streets and we didn't have those pesky humans, pedestrians and transit users and all that stuff, in theory, the system would be better for all. Uh, in theory, I, I'm not saying Don't, that Do you ever worry, true. though, as a pedestrian about getting clobbered sure. by I one also of these worry. Things? I also worry about electric cars that don't have motor noise. Right. So there's just plenty of stuff to worry about as a pedestrian. Uh, I, I worry about human drivers just as much or more. more I mean, the maybe. only time I yeah. ever, the only time I ever made physical contact with a car while I was walking, it was driven by a human. So right. um, yeah, I wasn't knocked down, but it was very scary. Yeah. yeah. And you know, to, to your point, uh, Shelley, you know, I mean, cases like yours are one of the, the, the driving forces for automated driving, you know, to enable mobility, freedom of mobility for people that either can't or don't want to drive, you know, whether it's because of uh, a, a physical limitation or, um, you know, just getting older or the young uh, or, or people who just don't want to drive, uh, you know, having that ability to call up a vehicle to take you where you need to go, um, not have to worry about parking and things like that. Uh, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of potential societal benefit out of that. And if we can get it right, you know, the, the potential improvements in safety, you know, these things should be able to see pedestrians way better than humans can. Because, sure. you know, if they're, if they're done right, you know, which means not like Tesla, uh, which relies only on uh, simple RGB cameras, visible light cameras, you know, the, those cruise vehicles, Waymo vehicles, others, they use a combination of cameras and Radar, imaging radar sensors, high-resolution radar sensors, LIDAR sensors, thermal imaging sensors um, that should be able to help, especially help detect pedestrians and, and animals. Um, you know, all of this, this combination of these sensors is what's key to try to generate a sufficient level of safety that is hopefully at least as good, at least as good or better than human safety, uh, which we haven't yet fundamentally proven that that they are even as good as humans yet right and it's fair to point out the pedestrians and animals are as unpredictable or yes. more so than other vehicles on the road so you can count on certain things uh, with software about how other vehicles behave because there are rules governing them that doesn't always work but it's less effective with a pedestrian who might dart out in front of you and i, I think that uh there have been incidents where when they traced it down the car the automated car uh, was at fault in terms of hitting the pedestrian that they should have seen, but the pedestrian or the bicyclist or whoever is also not necessarily guaranteed to behave in a way that the car expects, that the software that's running the car expects. Yeah, that's that's actually turns out to be one of the hardest parts of developing automated driving. You, know, you can you can kind of break down break down the problem into four parts: sensing, you know, detecting what's around the vehicle, prediction, then planning a path through that environment and then actually controlling the hardware to do it. That prediction turns out to be the, really one of the toughest parts, especially with pedestrians and cyclists, vulnerable road users, um, because, you know, physics, the physics of a, of a vehicle mean that it, it's going to put some limitations on how fast it can change direction. A human or an animal or a cyclist can change direction on a dime. And that is really hard to figure out for software. Oh, that's disappointing because the main reason I want self-driving cars is so I can ride my bicycle more. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that dream up in smoke as well. Although yeah. as, as I get older, you know, I would love it that I don't have to, uh, I guess my wife will drive me around. But until then, 
uh, or maybe after that, uh, self-driving vehicles would be great. I guess the other the problem really is that we have self-driving vehicles and human-driven vehicles on the same road. Would it right? That's fundamentally what what I see is the issue because I, I wouldn't the rules about how you arrange streets and how traffic worked would be fundamentally cars. different. Yeah, it's all, vehicles oh, yeah, yeah. were were automated, and if yeah. we you know I I get on my my sort of. Uh, uh, red hat here, uh, but if we didn't have to have private car ownership, if I could just rent access to a car when I needed it and send it away, I wouldn't have to have a driveway. I wouldn't have to have a parking space or garage. Right. If I wanted a pickup truck to take a load of stuff somewhere, but never wanted to see that truck again, I could do that. And as a person with low vision, that's pretty attractive. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and for for society as a whole, you know, there are seven and a half parking spaces for every vehicle in the United States. There's 290 million registered vehicles, and there's seven and a half parking spaces for every one of those. And in, in urban entire centers, areas of the city are devoted and, yeah, and, just to in parking. Urban centers about 25 to 30 percent of an average urban center yeah. is de- devoted to parking. If you could eliminate all or most of that, imagine what you could do with that mm-hmm. landmass um, in cities to provide more housing, uh, more more commercial real estate, more more of everything that would be of benefit to society. In addition to the the potential for saving lives and saving energy from these vehicles. Yeah, I'm not the way a- I always say it is: if I I have in my past I've been a cube dweller in in office environments. Uh, the car that I don't have, but if I had a car, it would have more space than I would have had in some of the cubes I've been in. Yeah. Uh, PC shipments. Ooh, this is bad. An analyst uh, working for a company called Mercury Research, Dean McCarran, has put out a report that says this, the, the X86 processor market just endured, quote, the largest on-quarter and on-year declines in our 30-year history. The worst quarter ever for X86 processors. And look up a recent article about the memory chip industry, which we know is famously boom and bust, but they've apparently had the worst bust that they've ever seen um, in terms of inventory, price declines, things like that. It's funny because wasn't it, wasn't the, weren't the prices going up for a while because they couldn't make enough and now right. they've made too many. Isn't that what always happens? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, interesting that apparently server class chips are an exception to that, and I I wonder in my uh, non macroeconomic uh, brain whether that has to do with people replacing servers after the pandemic that they didn't during that time. Yeah, this was good for AMD. Apparently, it had a, a gain in server CPU share, one of the only segments that saw growth in uh, the fourth quarter of 2022. Why is this, Brian? You think be, people? Why aren't people buying PCs? Well, everybody did. And, it's, it's, uh, they already have. <laughs> right, right, right. Everybody, everybody needs three, four, five years. <laughs> yeah, yeah because one? yeah, we're um, it's the pull for it's the same thing as e-commerce. It was the pull forward of demand, and then people were like, "Ooh, new reality." Um, and then the the problem that the PC industry and the chip industry has is that then it it's the rubber band sort of pulled back sooner than you could have a replacement cycle a natural replacement cycle happen. Uh, so are we going to see a recovery at some point in the future? Like, will people go back and buy PCs again or? I mean the, so again, pandemic times, you've got to have, um, 
a tablet or a laptop for your kids. You've got to have an extra one. You know, your work furnished you with one and this, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and then think of, think of the, the snapback for if remote work um, doesn't happen as much as people thought. You know, um, it, it, I don't, it, there's, there's so many factors in terms of the, you know, you had the, the supply chain things as well. And now you've got fears of recession, dampening consumer demand. It's like it, it, it is one of those perfect storm things where you could point you. We could sit here and talk for a half an hour about four different points that are hitting the PC industry all at once. And and certain uh, corners of the hardware industry all at once, but all it really is is that this was a sort of black swan event that no one could have planned for. People overplanned or got giddy about oh this could be a a phase change in terms of how consumers or even enterprises uh, behave and and what their demand could be, and so it's just going to take time to unwind that. And um, you know, in theory. Like inflation is coming down and supply chains are getting back to normal, but they're maybe it's just going to take longer for for um, tech hardware. Very interesting. All right, let's take a little break. Shelly Brisbane is here from SixColors.com and the Texas Standard at TexasStandard.org. Great to have you here. She's also on. I didn't even know he had one. Jason Snell's Mastodon instance, which has the marvelous name of Zeppelin Dot Flights. And she's Shelly on there. Zeppelin flights. I have to ask Jason about that on Tuesday on Mac Break Weekly. <laughs> also here, Brian. Well, I can Mc- tell you why it's called that if you care. We yeah, why? Why is it called that? <laughs> well, so Zeppelin is the uh, sort of mascot of the incomparable network, which is Jason's network of podcasts about uh, pop culture and movies and TV and superheroes oh, and all those things. The incomparable has a Zeppelin the- for a logo. Kind yeah. Of. Oh. Uh, right. And so uh, he just decided to call his it Zeppelin flights. That makes perfect sense. Besides, Zeppelins are super cool. They are. Yeah. Someday Jason's going to let me do a a, a show on the, this is this is just I'm narrowcasting to Jason if he's out there somewhere. I want to do a, a show for the incomparable about movies featuring Zeppelins. Oh, Zeppelin. I would listen to that. <laughs> All right, there there's you go. A, there's see, a, we got an audience. Yesterday <laughs> we had uh, science fiction author Daniel Suarez on triangulation, and there's a scene in his new book, Critical Mass. Uh, where uh, uh, these billionaires are need to fly around and they don't want to sp- pollute the atmosphere with their private jets. They have a private Zeppelin. And it's <laughs> so cool. Is it you a know. self-driving private Zeppelin? No, I think it's. I think there's a, pi- there's a captain and there's white-gloved stewards and there's silverware and it's very luxurious. They fly to Nigeria over a period of a day and a half from, uh, I think, from Sweden. And it sounds very, very sophisticated. Very beautiful and very leisurely. They they tried that once. No, yeah, that's, but that was the Hindenburg. So well. But that don't use hydrogen. That's all. I'm just right. saying. Right, I, Leo. I'm with you. I've never understood why that hasn't come back. Aside from the blowing up part, but <laughs> how many other technologies have had lots of crashes and blow ups and sinkings, and yet we still went further with the technology? Why this one technology? Did we have a couple of bad <laughs> events and we just abandoned it? Because airplanes were faster. Unfortunately, yeah. Sergey Brin, the, one of the founders of Google who has infinite money, had a Zeppelin company, an airship company. Really? He, yes. In fact, you know those big 
if you've ever been down by uh, Google down in Silicon Valley, there are leftover blimp hangers. I think from must be from World War II. He had leased those <laughs> and was and was building uh, blimps in there. But unfortunately, uh, I think that was another of the of the uh, victims of Google's uh, firings and, and shutdowns. Because I think that, that they they're not doing it anymore. You know the uh, the current the current generation of the Goodyear blimps that that uh, they introduced I don't know five or six years ago I think those are actually not blimps anymore they are in fact zeppelins and the the zeppelin company is still in business they oh. never went away and that so if you see a Goodyear blimp around these days it is in fact a zeppelin because the difference between a zeppelin and a blimp is a blimp is basically just a balloon with a um, the uh, pod underneath it. I forget what it's called. Gondola. Um, uh, yeah, gondola. Yes. Thank you. And uh, a Zeppelin actually has a rigid frame. And you're inside uh, the inside, balloon. Inside. Yeah. And well, and I mean, they still have a gondola. Oh. Uh, but they, the, the, the balloon itself has a rigid frame. Is this uh, a Zeppelin and, uh, that's, or a dirigible or a blimp? What are we looking well, at? A, a, a dirigible is the generic term that encompasses both. So that's okay. actually, that looks like it's actually a Zeppelin. This is uh, Larry. Like coming a frame on Twitter to learn things. This I is really this do. is Larry. I mean uh, Sergey's company. This is LTAResearch.com, and that is one of the big blimp hangers uh, in Mountain View. And there is the blimp. Uh, I guess they're not out of business. They're, they says we're ex we're united in the belief that the next generation airships can complement humanitarian aid and reduce the carbon footprint of aviation. So you know, if you got unlimited funds. Do something crazy and imaginative. Here is a 3D model of the Pathfinder 1, which is their uh, their airship. Wow. So they, they've avoided the whole blimp dirigible thing by calling it an airship, right? But the gondola, yeah. yeah. It's got a fly-by-wire system. <laughs> I feel like we, we saw a bunch of stories five or six years ago about also this has industrial uses for like flying things into remote areas that you know a helicopter like would be too heavy for a helicopter or even like a seat whatever you know like so like you it's could got lidar baby yeah the the payload the payload capability right. is more than you could get with a they're, helicopter it's, they're exactly. huge yeah, yeah they're, they're but they're slow right that's the drawback yeah. mm -hmm. so it, yeah. it you know it depends on i mean there's a lot of applications where speed is not necessarily of the essence and you know these would be a great these are a great solution for those applications. I think uh, Jason Snell should sell his uh, his Zeppelin site <laughs> to Larry <laughs> or Sergey. Wow. Uh, also here, Brian McCullough, Tech Meme Ride Home Podcast. Have you been doing it? How many years now? Five years? Six years? Uh, yeah, actually March fifth. So I got to think about that. Uh, it will be five years. Has um, uh, has so, has the news changed over five years? That's so funny. I have said that on recent shows where, you know, for how long the first few years it was tech is ascendant and tech is conquering all before it and tech is going to take over the world. And the last six months have been so, so many episodes where I'm like, hey, here's another narrative breaking. Here's a layoff story. Yeah. Here's, you know, like it. The 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 triumphalism of the first three to four years has really been you know record scratched in the last year. I you know I mean I've been doing this uh, long enough that I've been through the 
bust in 2000, the bust in 2008, now the bust in, in 2023. Um, and it always seems to come back. But it is definitely, uh, it's, it's interesting to watch the, com- the ebb and flow of our fortunes, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And um, like I said, I mean, that maybe that makes it better for me because it's um, not the same narrative. Oh, but, that's uh, why I like it. It's not boring. Yeah. I mean, who knew that we would spend so much time talking about balloons and blimps on this episode, right? Well, <laughs> or or like the, 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 the um, you know, now we have a new horse race, like going back to the, is it going to be Google AI. versus Bing? Yeah. But, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there, I, I feel like the first three to four years of the show, the pandemic notwithstanding, the narratives that I was covering in the tech industry were sort of stuck in amber. And the chessboard is sort of been thrown up in the air this year. Good thing to remember. If at any point we get a little bored, sometimes I do, got sick of talking about Elon, there'll always be something new, different, uh, and uh, interesting to talk about. Tech Meme Ride Home. You can get it right at techmeme.com or subscribe in your favorite podcast uh, player. And hear the news change right before your very eyes. Sam at Bull Salmon is also here. Our car, my car, my personal car guy. <laughs> Wheel Bearings podcast is at wheelbearings.media. Robbie's on that, too. I love him. We've been trying to get him on Twitter. And Nicole. Please. Don't forget Nicole. Nicole, too. Uh, great show for people who love uh, vehicles, motor vehicles. Uh, our show today uh, brought to you by Zip Recruiter. As the world ebbs and flows, jobs come and go, you may want to know about Zip Recruiter because there's going to come a time when you're hiring. And, of course, those vacancies always come along at the worst time. You know, for us, we're a small company. Somebody leaves. That means we all have to work a little bit harder. And uh, and we've got to scramble to fill that position. Thank goodness ZipRecruiter's here. We use ZipRecruiter all the time to do our hiring. Uh, and, and believe me, there are plenty of industries that are hiring these days. There's in many industries a shortage of talent. But don't worry, because no matter what industry you're in, when you need to hire, you go to ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. You can try it for free. It works so well. We've hired some of our best people there. When when our wonderful Ashley got a better job, she was in our continuity department, and Lisa and I are going, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Lisa went to ZipRecruiter, posted the job opening right there. And it's fast because you're posting to more than 100 job sites with one click of the mouse. But it's also fast because ZipRecruiter looks at your requirements, then looks at all the resumes they have, more than a million current resumes on hand, and will say, they'll pick out people who match those needs, and they'll say to you, hey, look, here's 10 people who really fit the bill. You decide whether you want to invite them to apply or not. But I'll tell you this, too. When you invite somebody to apply, they're so flattered, they're so excited, it's a great beginning to a, a potentially fabulous experience. When we post on ZipRecruiter, we usually get somebody great within an hour or two. At least he'll post at breakfast. By lunch, she's going, oh, here's another one. Here's another one. And that is such a relief when you're a person down. It really is great. That's how we found Viva. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful matching technology to find candidates for practically any role that makes it very easy for you to process those applications because they don't go to your voicemail or email inbox. They go into the ZipRecruiter interface. They reformat all the resumes so it's easy to scan them. You can create screening questions, true, false, multiple choice, even essay, to eliminate people who just don't fit the fit the bill. 
You can narrow it down, rank them, screen them, rank them, and hire the right one fast in one place. It's so great. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate in the first day. That's always been our experience. It really is a relief. You go, oh, whew, we're not going to have to operate, you know, at half speed. Find quality candidates fast. Let ZipRecruiter keep your team growing strong no matter what industry, no matter what field. ZipRecruiter is great. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. You could try it there for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash T-W-I-T. They have been so great for us all these years. We've used them many, many times. They've been a sponsor here for a long time. Thank you, ZipRecruiter. We really appreciate it. And thank you to uh, all of you who listen and use those addresses because that makes a big difference. And they know you saw it here. ZipRecruiter.com slash twit. We had a really great week this week uh, on all the shows. I mean, not just Daniel Suarez. Well, you know what? I think we have a little video you can watch for yourself. Only on Club Twit. Going to sit down today with another fine addition here at Twit. The wonderful co-host of All About Android. She's also quite busy doing things in the world of dev life and the fitness world and a whole bunch of other things. Allow me to welcome today's guest, Miss Wynn Twit Dow. How you be, lady? Oh my gosh, so good. Especially after that kind of intro and oh my god, that's so nice. <laughs> Um, I don't really feel that fascinating, but I'm really happy to be here. I've you been, are I've been... previously on Twit triangulation on his fifth visit to our studios. Uh, Daniel Suarez has a new book, and the world rejoices. It feels like we're in a renaissance of space exploration. I truly believe that, and and we Hallelujah. just need we need more and more people, billionaires and government officials who vote on these things, as well as the general public, to realize we really are on sort of the brink of a golden age if we make the right decisions. So we're we're at a I'd say a fork in the road. One way is a crisis, and one way is a golden age. All about Android. I have in my hands the OnePlus Eleven. 5G, and I give you my full review in tonight's episode. Tech News Weekly. Micah Sargent and I, Jason Howell, talked to Joseph Cox from Vice about how AI systems are creating convincing replicas of celebrity voices, like mine right now, often without permission to do so. AI sure is a big deal, it seems. Hey, there's only room for one AI host on the Twit Network. Uh, that that My voice in that whole promo was uh, artificially generated. That's the uh, Levin Labs uh, version of, of uh, Jason Howell and my voice. Um, I've done that. I did that this week to. as well. Yeah. It's kind of tempting, isn't it? Mm. Well, I, I have to take a trip to Ireland. Well, have to. Um, what if I did, instead of hiring somebody to exactly. fill in for me for a week. Exactly. What if I just wrote out the show and didn't have to edit it and process it just, yeah. So it's not, I, uh, it's so, not there yet, though, is it? <laughs> no, but it, it, it's it's actually the Eleven Labs is the closest one because I did the Descript one a couple years ago and it was nowhere near. Close. Yeah, Descript. The nice thing about Descript was it was clearly generated. That one mm -hmm. was close enough. It just sounded like was Leo sick. But this this adds like the breaths. Yeah, this adds the it's pretty the good sort of the emotion. Like so, if they could just add the dials where I could add emphasis and you know with italics or something like that we're almost there but have i don't know if you've played with it but the other weird thing is if you if you say if you give it a paragraph and you um say generate it'll perform it in a certain way generate it again with changing nothing 
it'll perform it in a completely different yeah, way. Like, Do it again, completely different yeah, way. Yeah. yeah. AI is good at that. Shelly, you said you played with it too? Yeah. I Well, I decided, I don't know why I decided I made this terrible decision, but it had been going around in a podcast or Slack and a bunch of us have been posting samples. And I was due to do a Q&A on the radio show, which as a producer means that I wrote the script and that I was going to talk to the host. I wrote him some questions that he asked me and then I answered them. And so what I did was I took that script and I trained <laughs> it on both of our voices. And uh, I was like, why am I putting myself out of a job? I don't know. But you can train it with multiple samples. And so the first thing I did was I trained it on myself doing something like I would do for the radio show, which is essentially reading about a serious topic. We were talking about disability legislation in the legislature. And then I decided to give it a couple of samples, one from my podcast about uh, tech and one from my podcast about movies. So sort of a different tone, sort of a different focus. And I noticed as, as I added samples, and this is my, was my interpretation and maybe what Brian says is right, that you can read the same script and have it come back with different, uh, different sort of tone or whatever. But my feeling was that once I had given it a couple of more of my voice samples, it changed and it, it got better. It still wasn't me. I could absolutely tell the breathing was right. The sort of emphasis, especially when I, because I made a couple of punctuation mistakes at first and I changed them up and it was a little bit better, but it was sort of flatter and without personality. And I chose the clips from the movie podcast specifically where I'm sort of, you know, excited about something or I'm trying to engage a guest and I've got energy. So I'm trying to figure out whether it's going to transfer that to the clip and it didn't. And it really uh, did not do particularly well on my uh, on my radio show host, where I only put one clip of him in. But yeah, I was able to fake an entire radio segment. I didn't put it on the Is, air, but I, I had it. Can I find it? it? Is it on the net? No, no, no. It's not. Oh. I can send it to you, but it's, I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear it. It was it was entertaining. Yeah, I don't think we have to worry yet. But uh, in fact, Brian, you put this uh, story uh, in my uh, inbox. Uh, voice artists are worried about uh, chat GPT and other AI generators. I guess not chat GPT so much as uh, 11 There's labs. Whatever generative stuff. Generative is scaring them. And in fact, more than that, they're now being asked to sign away their rights, which is interesting. This is the story from Vice. Dis disrespectful to the craft. Actors say they're being asked to sign away their voice to AI. You know, when we do voice work there's always a contract usually it says something like we own this recording uh, for use uh, in every medium conceived of to this point and anything that is ever conceived of in the future <laughs> uh, uh, we use the same release i believe but <laughs> in any event uh, it's now becoming a little bit uh, concer concerning you we had this story a couple of weeks ago that Folks at 4chan had used uh, Eleven Labs to create celebrity voices doing appalling things. Well, um, the, the converse would be, I, I said this recently, um, <laughs> uh, um, Morgan Friedman should sell the rights in perpetuity to his voice. He'd probably be able to get $50 million right now. Right. So like... And, and, and he, maybe he wouldn't have to do a thing. Oh, well, maybe he'd have to go to a studio and record for a few days. No, they have so much of it. And this stuff is getting so fat, good so fast. Um, sign away your rights in perpetuity and then you'll never lose the, the March of the Penguins um, <laughs> voiceover. Well, wait a minute now. Here is an well, James AI. Jones already did that. Oh, that's right. James Earl Jones did sell yeah, his James voice. Yeah. Well, and that's that's great for somebody whose career is close to an end or who True. may be looking for a legacy for their family. 
but if I'm a voice voice actor and I'm 30 years old and maybe I've even just had a hit, maybe I've had a big role in a video game or a movie or something like that, and you're asking me to sign away my rights to a specific piece of work that I am about to create for you, that's a really different situation. Well, uh, all of us are, I guess, affected now by AI, uh, no matter what your skill. Uh, I mean, I could have chat GPT write the script and then I can have 11 labs yeah. read it. Yeah. Well, and then it's going to come for images too. you know, mm-hmm. all the, 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 the new Indiana Jones thing with Harrison Ford being the younger thing. Like you won't need Harrison Ford. You could just do Indiana Jones in perpetuity if he signed over his rights to his visage and now his voice and. Here is another story from uh, Motherboard about ChatGPT. And for some reason, uh, you can put weird words in there and it responds in an even weirder way. We think we know what's going on, though. There is a subreddit called Count where people are just counting. They've been doing it for five years. They're trying to get to, what, five million, one at a time. And they uh, have a list of the top chat uh, chat uh, reddit handles in count and those are the words so something about the way chat gpt absorbed the count subreddit <laughs> has has given these people some sort of weird celebrity in gpt's token set is what vice calls it including solid gold magic carp streamer bot and the nitrome fan with a leading space uh, now you probably can't t- 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 type those into ChatGPT anymore. I'm sure people have, you know. But the funny thing was, is, like, even 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 if they fix this, what I thought was interesting was like the way that you can sort of uh, glitch out the bots, sort of like Blade Runner style. Because what w- one of the quotes uh, in the first five paragraphs that Leo is like they they put the name in and the the bot responded by yeah. saying to hell with you. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's hysterical. Uh, it, it's it's like it breaks the AI. Yeah, yeah. And for some reason, that's just wonderful. <laughs> we just love that, don't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hal 9000 notwithstanding. Gives us a sense of superiority that we're still we're still be relevant. We're still on top, at least. Well, yeah. you could just still Somehow. do things that are whimsical and, and weird and funny. and To hell with you. Yeah, I live for that sort of thing. <laughs> wow. Hey, everybody, it's Leo Laporte, the founder and host of many of the Twit podcasts. I don't normally talk to you about advertising, but I want to take a moment to do that right now. Uh, Our mission statement at Twit, we're dedicated to building a highly engaged community of tech enthusiasts. That's our audience and you, I guess, since you're listening, by offering them the knowledge they need to understand and use technology in today's world to do that. We also create partnerships with trusted brands and make important introductions between them and our audience. It's how we finance our podcasts, but it's also, and our audience tells us this all the time, a part of the service we offer. It's a valued bit of information for our audience members. They want to know about great brands like yours. So can we help you by introducing you to our highly qualified audience? And boy, you get a lot with advertising on the Twit podcasts. Partnering with Twit means you're going to get, if I may say so humbly, the gold standard in podcast advertising. And we throw in a lot of valuable services. You get a full service continuity team. 
supporting everything from copywriting to graphic design. I don't think anybody else does this or does this as well as we do. You get ads that are embedded in our content that are unique every time. I read them, our hosts read them. We always over-deliver on impressions. And frankly, we're here to talk about your product. So we really give our listeners a great introduction to what you offer. We've got onboarding services, ad tech with pod sites. That's free for direct clients. We give you a lot of reporting so you know who saw your advertisement. You'll even know how many responded by going to your website. We'll also give you courtesy commercials that you can share across social media and landing pages. We think these are really valuable. People like me and our other hosts talking about your product sincerely uh, and informationally, those are incredibly valuable. You also get other free goodies, mentions in our weekly newsletter that's sent out to thousands of fans. We give bonus ads uh, to people who buy a significant amount of advertising. You'll get social media promotion too. But let me tell you, we are looking for an advertising partner it's going to be with us long term. Visit twit.tv slash advertise. Check out our partner testimonials. Tim Broom, founder of IT Pro TV. They started IT Pro TV in 2013, immediately started advertising with us and grew that company to a, a really amazing success. Hundreds of thousands of ongoing customers. They've been on our network for more than 10 years. And they say, and I'll quote Tim, we would not be where we are today without the Twit Network. That's just one example. Mark McCrary, who's the CEO of Authentic, uh, he was actually uh, one of the first people to buy ads on our network. He's been with us for 16 years. He said, and I'm quoting, the feedback from many advertisers over those 16 years across a range of product categories is that if ads and podcasts are going to work for a brand, they're going to work on Twitch shows. I'm proud to say that the ads we do over-deliver, they work really well because they're honest. They have integrity. Our audience trusts us, and we say, this is a great product. They believe it. They listen. Our listeners are highly intelligent. They're heavily engaged. They're tech-savvy. They're dedicated to our network, and that's partly because we only work with high-integrity partners that we have thoroughly and personally vetted. I approve every single advertiser on the network. If you're ready to elevate your brand and you've got a great product, I want you to reach out to us. Advertise at twit.tv. So I want you to break out of the advertising norm, grow your brand with host-read authentic ads on twit.tv. Visit twit.tv slash advertise for more details or email us advertise at twit.tv if you're ready to launch your campaign now. Uh, AI for video is coming. The folks who did Stable Diffusion Runway have a new model. They call it Gen 1 that can create videos based on uh, an input, a sample. And then they can, they can. Uh, oh, let's see if I can get it to play back. It looks like it won't play back in my Unlinux here. But uh, the, the, the top animated GIF gives you an example. But you could give them a video of a real person doing something and then change the background entirely. So get ready. I mean, this is deep fakes paradise, mm -hmm. isn't it? Transforming existing videos into uh, into new ones. Let's see. Maybe here I can get it to play from the from the runway site. So this is the this is the actual video on the left. It's a subway, real subway in New York City. But I can make it a cartoon uh, using the AI. Uh, it's a pretty good cartoon, right? Uh, you can have a human being 
acting kind of silly in a park, but then apply it to a uh, a magma monster, and suddenly you've got uh, a pretty good. I mean, this is a lot easier than uh, doing um, rotoscoping. Here's another one. They use blocks to, uh, or actually, these are. It looks like these are runway manuals or notebooks set up to kind of simulate skyscrapers in a road and turn it into skyscrapers in a road. This is really impressive. Give a dog some dots. Uh, Research.runwayml.com if you want to see. This is Gen 1. It's going to uh, allow you to do some very interesting things. Again, varietals, though. Like, what if you prefer the style of one bot versus the style of another bot or... You were in. You were an architect versus an artist. You know well, I, I mean? wonder. Like, you know, for instance, this image that it's creating is. Does is some artist draw that originally, and this is just kind of stealing it in effect, or is it completely generated from scratch? No, it, it's been it's been trained on various real stuff, real images. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Would, yeah. And I assume that would happen with video, where you could train it on the existing tv and movie universe or any video any all of youtube for goodness sake right. and right. it uh, has already been done yeah right. uh very interesting uh i think we can probably call it a day you guys have been working hard and uh i think it's time to say goodbye but thank you so much for being here we had a wonderful time shelly brisbane you are fantastic i'll look for you on six colors and at texasstandard.org and on Zeppelin flights. I've already followed you on Mastodon. And I will follow you back. <laughs> at Shelly at I've Zeppelin. I've already followed some flights. of Swift, but uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's nice. Really nice. Anything else you want to mention that you're working on? Uh, well, I have a, a book that I produce for each edition of iOS, iOS Access for All, which is a book about everything to do with accessibility for the iOS platform. And you can find that at iosaccessbook.com. I forgot all about that. You were on mentioned that last time, and good. I'm glad we could give it a plug. Got to plug the book. Got to plug the book. You got I'll a be new one, Micah, about it for iOS today. Yes, uh, you know the new one for iOS 16 is uh, out, and uh, and yeah, if you have uh, accessibility needs, uh, the iPhone does a very good job. iOS does a very good job for accessibility, but it kind of helps to know what it's capable of. Uh, Shall I? This is a much needed, very valuable book for everybody. So thank you for doing that. Um, iosaccessbook.com Brian McCullough when are you going to Ireland? Oh, you're muted. All right, sorry, second second week of April. <gasps> are you excited? Uh, definitely, seeing as how that's the first time that I've personally gone and, um, it, you know, like I said, um, maybe that week, the five episodes of the Tech Meme Ride Home um, be AI will- generated. Maybe I won't have to take a microphone in my in my carry on and, and things like that. I will literally just do it. I, I Leo, I really might. I, really, I think that's an interesting <laughs> idea. You could still write it and just I, have the AI generate it. Would you and use the script? The, what would you use? No, I'm going to use the Eleven Labs if because I keep feeding it stuff from my show. It's getting better and, and better. Been, yeah, I've been preparing the audience for this. Like we've done segments. And I've said, okay, here, here we go. Because every, you know, when all this week it was nothing but AI news, and so I couldn't help myself. I'm like, yeah. okay, yeah, we we got to do this next segment with We're my AI it. voice. We're all doing so it. So if if I prepare the audience and I say I'm not going to do this forever, 
but for this one week, will you accept it? And the interesting thing was I did one experiment with different voice. I did an Irish accent, you know, <laughs> not my voice. Um, and people hated it. But when I did it with my voice this week, people were like, oh, that's not bad. So again, now, but again, what are the implications? The implications are um, I'm not paying a substitute host for a week to right. take over my show. Right. So, Ridehome.info. What will Brian McCullough do? Stay tuned and find out. Ridehome.info. Thank you, Brian, for being here. Really appreciate it. And thank you, Sam Abul, Sam Ed, my car guy. Wheelbearings podcast is at wheelbearings.media. Between you, Nicole, and Robbie, I think you're probably covered for vacations. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we try. Also, uh, I we didn't even say it today. I don't know. Do you want me to? Principal researcher at Guidehouse Insights? Absolutely. Please. Yeah. Yeah. That's his day job, that's, folks. That, they're, they're, they're the ones that pay the bills. Yeah. So we, all, we sh- all, all the other stuff is uh, it's just a hobby. <laughs> uh, it's good to have hobbies. You know? Yeah. 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 You never know what's going to happen. Wheelbearings.media for uh, more information or to hear the podcast. You've launched a Patreon. That's great. So people can become fans. uh, Last week we had uh, Kelly Funkhauser from Consumer Reports on to talk about uh, they they recently did uh, um, a bunch of testing on driver assist systems and had some interesting results. And so we invited Kelly to come on and, and talk us through uh, what their methodology was, what they were actually looking for to to get a better understanding of how they came to the conclusions that they did. Um, and uh, so that was a really interesting conversation. And tomorrow morning we'll be, uh, Nicole and Robbie and I will be recording another one. Uh, and uh, we'll have some interesting content there as well. Join Sam, Nicole, Robbie at wheelbearings.media. Thank you, Sam. And of course, join us. Normally, we are not on a Saturday. We just thought we'd give everybody a break because tomorrow is a big game, Super Bowl Sunday. So we invite you to tune in next Sunday. We'll be back on at our usual time, 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern. That's 2200 UTC. Right after Ask the Tech Guys, you can watch live at live.twit.tv. Chat with us live at irc.twit.tv. Or if you're a member of Club Twit, join us in the fabulous Club Twit Discord. You can also uh, get after the fact, get versions of the show, audio or video, at our website, twit.tv. There's a YouTube, a YouTube channel dedicated to This Week in Tech. And, of course, you can subscribe in your favorite podcast client and get it automatically the minute it's done, which we are now. Thank you for, for joining us. I'm glad you tuned in on a Saturday. We'll see you next week. Another Twit is in the can. Bye-bye. Amazing.